Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word gives us strength. It's authoritative. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's reliable. There are precious promises that are in your word. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're thankful for those promises, and I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Strengthen my Redeemer. Amen. There's a question that um, the Lord's been putting on my heart this whole week. Um, Whether I'm studying in Genesis about Abraham or I'm reflecting on Paul in the book of Acts. And that question is, what does our reaction to stress tell us about our faith? What does our reaction to stress tell us about our faith? Is it strong or is it weak? Because here's the big idea that I see throughout reading and studying about Abraham and Paul. And this this idea of faith is talked about throughout the Bible. That Abraham was accredited righteousness because of his faith. That we're saved by faith. That we have the shield of faith. And we grow in our faith. Actually, Paul says, and these three remain in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. It must be pretty important. Paul's strong faith was grounded in the faithful one. Paul had strong faith because it was gro- he was grounded in the faithful one. When I look at Acts 27, I don't want to start in verse 27. I want to look at verse 22 and read down to 26. Because, see, Paul had a great and precious promise, as it talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1. We have great and precious promises in the Bible. And we can stand on the word of God and increase our faith by holding on to those promises. It made me even think that after the ship had broken up and there was debris all around, they were clinging on to debris till they get themselves to the shore. I would say in our Christian sense, that we cling on to the promises of God as those who clinged on to life by hanging on to the debris of the broken ship to get to safety in the shore. There are two main points that I want to look at. One, at at the mercy of the storm, but they were in the hands of God. Second, God's protective care landed all 276 safely onto Malta. Remember, every Christian is either in a storm right now, they're coming out of a storm, or there's a storm that's coming. God has not promised us smooth sailing in this life, but he has promised us a safe arrival into heaven. And he has promised to always be with us. In the last chapters of the book of Mark, we see Luke detailing Paul's journey. From Jerusalem to Rome, 
Throughout Paul's personal storms on land and sea, he has remained faithful to God's call in his life, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus wherever he was at, whether in a prison cell or in a synagogue or on the road or in Athens, he was always faithful. Paul would rather die right than live wrong, as Tozer would say. For Paul, the Great Commission was not an option to be considered. It was a command to be followed and obeyed. He knew that God's purposes and promises would prevail. The important question that we need to ask ourselves are the following. Are we faithful to God's word? And are we relying on the Lord and acting in obedience to what we believe the Lord has called us to do? Paul is going to Rome. Something that he's always wanted to do, but maybe not in the way that he had planned. I don't see words of complaint or cries of worry in Paul. But I do see a solid faith to complete the work that he's been called to do. And in Acts chapter 27, we see Paul headed to Rome on treacherous seas. His faith was grounded on Jesus. He is the faithful one. Let me see, read this promise to you. This is why he could be encouraging to those on the boat who had no faith, who probably were not Christians. He says this, verse 22, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, he stood by me. And he said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Isn't that one thing that we have? If you grow your faith, if you grow in faith, it's as J.O. Sanders said, says that peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of God. He didn't have to be worried or upset. He could have peace in his heart. Why? Because his faith was founded on the faithful one. It says, God has graciously... No, I'm going to start here. You must stand trial before Caesar. That was the promise. You were going to stand before Caesar. And the lives of all who sail with you were going to be saved. There was a promise. So keep up the courage, man. This is what Paul's telling them. For I have what? I have faith. I have faith in God. See, that's the key. His faith was grounded in God. That it will happen just as he told me. Do you believe that? There are great and precious promises, it says, in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we know what those promises are. They're throughout Scripture. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For my God, what was it saying? For, this is one of your favorite verses I remember. For my God will meet all your needs. In the riches of Christ Jesus, right? There are great and precious promises here. Do you have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me? And then he says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Paul could be encouraging to the people on the boat. Why? Because he had great faith. He believed. And remember what faith is all about. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
He had the assurance. He knew it didn't matter what the storm was. He knew he could rely on God's word. He knew he would rely on what the angel told him. In verses 27 through 32, it's during Paul's lifetime, the Adriatic Sea was considered not only between Italy and Greece, but also included south of Italy and Sicily to Malta. It says after 14 days, two weeks, the ship was still driven across the sea. And around midnight, they sensed the approaching of land. They probably heard the sound of the breakers on the shore. We don't know, but we know the water was becoming shallower because it says so. From 120 feet to 90 feet. They measured the depth of the seas by letting down weighted line. The word in Greek literally means heaving the lead. They threw it overboard. They saw how deep it was. And as they came to shallower waters, they dropped four anchors. Oh, you're going to love this because I've talked about this before. When I saw I was going to preach on this section, I was like, woohoo, that's good. These four anchors allowed for stability amid the storm. Ancient sailing vessels had many anchors and probably more than four. In fact, one excavation of an ancient ship discovered 23 stone anchors on the ship. There are five lead anchors from a first century B.C. Roman ship. And these four anchors, in these four anchors that I've talked about before in the green leaf and drought, this missionary, Arthur Matthews, and his family clung to these verses while being persecuted in China. And we've all faced storms in our lives. And Arthur Master rested on these words from Andrew Murray because it increased his faith. In my own personal life, I shared this in Sunday school. I mean, we all go through storms, right? But there are two passages that I absolutely cling to. It's 2, Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. When Jehoshaphat has shared that story before too, but that's a go-to passage. I don't know what to do. Keep my eyes on you. I don't know what to do. And when Jehoshaphat, do you remember how God defeated the armies that were attacking him? Now, they were singing praises that went up on the hill. And the other one, of course, is this passage right here in Acts 27. Cast out four anchors. And what does it say in the book? So this is from the book in Greenleaf and Drought. On the back of the month of December, there was a little calendar that holds this. Cast four anchors and prayed for day. This obviously was a reference to Acts 27, 27 to 29. As we were driven to and fro from the Sea of Adria, they, got, they let go of the four anchors from the stern and prayed for day. These four anchors they found in Andrew Murray's formula for trial. This comes right from the book. Say, he brought me here, and it is by his will I am in this straight place, and it is in this fact I will rest. Two. The second anchor. I, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Three. Then he will make this trial a blessing teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn. Four. In his good time he can bring me out again how and when he knows. So let me say as I'm being persecuted in China. I'm going to hold on to these precious promises that remember it talks about in Hebrews 6.19, that the Lord Jesus Christ is our anchor. And these are the four things. So I am here by God's appointment. I am here in his keeping. I am here under his training. And I'm here for whatever time he wants me to be here. Paul warned the centurion and the sailors attempting to escape that they needed to stay with the ship. 
Remember we talked about this in verses 23 through 25 where it says an angel of the Lord whose I am and whom I serve stood by me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all. And all means all. All who sail with you. Paul told the people, so keep up the courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Paul had tremendous faith. Faith because it rested in the faithful one. He stood on God's promises, who is a true promise keeper. Jesus was his refuge and strength. He's a strong tower. He's a mighty fortress. That's Martin Luther's, no, that's the go-to verse for him, I believe, when he did mighty fortress. It's Psalm 46.1. His hope was in Jesus, the blessed hope. His was an endless hope and not a hopeless end. Without a port, the soldiers thought the best chances for survival was in a single lifeboat. But the soldiers listened to Paul's advice and they cut the ropes and they held, let the lifeboat fall away. That's faith. They cut the rope. This meant that all on board could only depend on the deliverance from God. I am reflected again on Corrie Tin Boom and her faith when she endured the, tra- the camps in, during the, the Second World War. And she said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. Paul's confidence rested in the Lord. The Lord told him that he was going to go to Rome. And he graciously gave all the lives who sailed with him. And that's why he could be such an encouragement to them. Because of his faith. His trust in God was contagious. So that he could inspire others. He encouraged them to eat. That's one thing about great faith. If you live absolutely trusting in Christ, your faith is boundless. How is your faith in Christ? When... When you come in your life and you hit a bump in the road, how's your faith? When you hit your head against the wall and you don't know where else to go, how's your faith? How do you react when your faith is challenged? I mean, on a boat, in a sea, I mean, you think about it, 14 days, they they didn't have like, you know, compasses at that time they didn't have gps at that time they navigated by the stars they couldn't see and it's as it says if you look in verse 2020 it says and when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days the storm continued raging and we gave up all hope of being saved they were hopeless and they feared do you feel like that sometimes But I go to my go-to verse. I don't know what to do, God. Keep my eyes on you. Go to my go-to verse. you have a go-to verse? You need to have a go-to verse if you don't. The people would need their strength. And Paul said for the last 14 days, we've been in constant suspense and have gone without food and haven't had anything to eat. Paul was able to encourage him because of his faith. And his encouragement inspired them. Paul took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them. He broke it and he began to eat. 
He told them that they would not lose a single hair from their head. Paul was giving a public testimony of his faith in God and of Jesus Christ as well and gathering strength to go ahead. Verses 36 and 38. Sometimes it's hard to stay positive amid a crisis. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's hard. Charles Swindoll said this. I have this on, my, on a wall in my office. Actually, I just took it down the other day and put it in a box, but I'm going to keep it. We have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for the day. A life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. Our attitude is everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And in Philippians 2.5, Paul writes, Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. I pray the Holy Spirit would continue to work in all of us, that we would have the attitude of Christ in our life. I'm reminded of Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4. This is an important principle here. Jesus was at peace in the boat during the storm. The disciples, just like in Paul's boat, disciples were afraid. Jesus rebukes the wind and tells the waves to be quiet. And the wind and the waves obey Jesus' command. The boat can't sink if Jesus is on board. Jesus, are you on Jesus' boat? Because here's some good advice. Stay near Jesus. Have your faith in the faithful one. Do we trust in Jesus even during the storms of our life? I remember Jesus walking on the water. In Matthew 14, Jesus saw the disciples. They were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It says in that passage, the disciples were terrified. Oh, same reaction. Jesus tells them, same thing Paul says, take courage. And don't be afraid. Remember, Peter walked out on the water with Jesus and began to sink. And Peter cried out, save me. Scripture says immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. He said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? My prayer, Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Let actual circumstances be what they may. Keep recognizing Jesus. Maintain your complete reliance on him. Keep your eyes fixed on him, listening to him, obedient to his call, wherever he may be. I love this quote. Oswald Chambers says, we are not responsible for the circumstances we're in. Now, sometimes we may, because of what we do, cause us to be in some circumstances. But there are sometimes they're out of our control. But he says this. But we are responsible for the way we allow those circumstances to affect us. We can either allow them to get on top of us, or we can allow them to transform us into what God wants us to be. That's a big idea. Circumstances, they'll be what they be. Sometimes they're out of our control. But don't let them get on top of you and define you. But we allow them to 
Transform us, Lord. Show me what you want me to do. Show me, teach me, help me to learn. How? Sh- what's my attitude? The right attitude should be. By eating unto their satisfaction, it showed signs of the sailors believing in the promise that Paul had given them. Because they hadn't eaten for a while. They'd given up hope. They began to lighten the ship by throwing the wheat over, over the sea, into the sea. The lighter the ship, the better they'd be able to pass over the rocks. But think about this. I mean, throwing over their valuable cargo... Shows how desperate the situation was. I mean, that was their means of living. That was like what they were bringing. It's clear that now all the profit was lost. So now in 39 through 41, or 44 here, God's protective care lands 276 safely on Malta. The island of Malta is small. Think about this. And the chances of the ship being driven by a raging tempest And landing on the island of Malta would seem impossible in the the eyes of man. Malta's a little island. The Mediterranean Sea is big. And you got a raging sea. It's like, okay, the wind's blowing and we're going to hit this island. But by the hand of God, the probability of the ship finding land was a certain absolute. It was going to land somewhere. And it landed on Malta. If the ship had missed Malta, there was nothing in front of it for another 200 miles. And probably no one would have survived. But God said that people would survive. And if that's what God said, that's what it is. If it's in the Bible and that's what it says, that's what it is. The island was well known. In fact, they actually have a bay. I looked on the island of Malta, and there's actually a bay that's called St. Paul's Bay. Did you know that? Today, there's a St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta. It was where the wreck took place, they believe. It was some distance. They had a main harbor on Malta, but anyways, they landed on this. You can check it out. Go up the island of Malta, look for St. Paul's Bay. They prepared to drive the ship onto the land. Luke describes three specific nautical maneuvers that happened. They cast out the an- off the anchors. That took some faith. They loosened the ropes on the rudders. Now remember, the way they did it, they had like two oars that were on the side on those big grain ships like that. So it says that they loosened the ropes on the rudders because they're going to put them in the back in the water. They're on both sides. They hoisted the foresail. And remember in the ancient world what they believed. I mean, they believed that it was ruled by the gods, right? In fact, you see in Acts 28, 12, it says the figurehead of that Alexandrian ship had the twin gods of Castor and Pollux. They were the sons of Zeus, the guardians of the deities for sailors. So they believed in gods and demons and all this. And the sea storms and its effects were considered an expression of divine wrath and punishment. God said, have faith. We're going to be okay. We're all going to be safe. We're not going to lose anybody. But you need to listen to what I say. Because an angel told me that we're going to be safe. In these ancient grain ships, the, two, the ropes bound two large paddles or rudders each to the side of the ship near the stern, the back end of the boat. Which allows the pilot to control the direction. These big boats, they moved really slowly. But they were big. Their idea behind it was to carry cargo. And during the storm, these rudders would be lifted up from the water and tied down. Now it says they loosened them. Supposedly, the, rate, the, 
the sailors had tied the rudders in place to keep the ship from drifting. I mean, they were the professionals on the boat. But remember, the rain was still pouring down and the winds were still gushing. That God doesn't, you know, he doesn't promise a magic carpet ride in this life, right? He didn't, ma- you know, have a promise of mar- a magic carpet ride to, for Paul to land on the island of Malta. The sailors still used their skills and knowledge to land the ship. There's another biblical principle that I, I thought about which is highlighted here. God did guide the ship through the rough waters, and he calls us to trust in him and use the skills that he's given us for his glory during those storms. Having an attitude of prayer throughout the storm and be obedient to his call during the storm is imperative. Sometimes God's protective care happens amid the storm without removing us from the storm. But you need to ask this question just like they did in China with the four anchors. You know, what are you trying to teach me? The bow, it says, stuck fast in the beach, but the stern was exposed to the pounding of the waves. It now seems that if it was time to jump ship. And it was the soldiers' plan to kill the prisoners. I said, why, do you, why were they planning on doing that? Soldiers were responsible for the prisoners. If any prisoners escaped, the soldiers would pay with their lives. We see this illustrated in Acts 12 when Herod examined the guards and ordered them to be executed because Peter disappeared. In the Roman army, this is important to know, in the Roman army, if 50 bodies were signed for, 50 bodies were supposed to be delivered, dead or alive, or the soldiers made up the difference themselves. I mean, that's how important it was if you were guarding a, sold, I mean, a prisoner. Julius the centurion, he trusted Paul's words. Paul's words were coming to pass. He trusted them. God's sovereign hand was at, at work. And God's plans, they always succeed. Paul was going to go to Rome. God's promises will be fulfilled. Because why? He is the faithful one. We read that, and Shelley read that today in Psalms. The non-swimmers, they grabbed the pieces of wood and floating things. Think about it. I mean, to have all 276 souls survive, that was a miracle. That was a miracle. All were saved. And it's right. It was because of God. God said they were going to all be saved, and they're all saved. You may be feeling like I was talking earlier about hanging on to a piece of driftwood right now, moving through the flow of the current. Hang on to the driftwood as if they were God's promises. Lean on God's presence and allow Him to grow your faith. Years ago, a ship met it with disaster off the shores of the Isle of Wight, the story goes. In the confusion, a young woman was swept overboard. She found a piece of wreckage and she clung to it. But soon, she was drifting down the channel and out to sea. A few hours later, there was a captain of another vessel, saw an object floating in the distance, sent some sailors in a boat to investigate. Before they reached the object, they heard the woman's voice singing. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the near waters roll, 
while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe unto the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. On that piece of wreckage, drifting out to sea, the woman had peace in her heart because Jesus was Lord of her life. She had Jesus and she trusted Jesus. You can escape physical dangers and you'd be delivered from death on earth. But if you have never come to Jesus Christ and turned to him and trusted in him, you will not reach the shore safely. That was written by Jack Andrews. Have faith in God. If you have something you want to write down, I'd write this down. I'm going to put this on my wall. I said this during Sunday school. This is good. Faith is the key that unlocks the windows to see the glories of heaven. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the windows to see the glories of heaven. Faith is the key that unlocks the windows to see the glories of heaven. May we all have a clear vision to see the Lord's glory that we may worship and praise him all the more. You know, another quote just came to my mind that I just really love. It said, Worshippers never leave the church. They carry the sanctuary wherever they go. That was A.W. Tozer said that. Isn't that true? I mean, you can be out in the world and the storms may come. Worshippers never leave the church. They carry the sanctuary. We are the church. We are the, the church is in this building. We are the church. And worshipers never leave. They carry the sanctuary wherever they go. So as an application, two things I want to talk about. The Lord allows his people and other people to go through storms for different reasons. One may be for salvation. Storms and trials are used by God to cause men to turn and women to turn to God. Because for salvation, you're saved by faith. Second, God allows people to go through storms to prove that person really truly is trusting in God. How much do you trust me? Feed my sheep. Already heard that before. Isn't that in John 21 when Jesus talks to Peter? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. The world needs to see the demonstration of God's presence and power. And the only way they can see it in the life of believers as they've gone through trials, as it was said this morning in Sunday school, to be examples to others and to help others, other people in their times of trial. Fourth, resilience. Storms and trials make a believer stronger. Do we say the first thing when we come through a storm is, God, get me out of this mess? Or God, I know you're going to see me through this mess. I know the prayers are, are on the way. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be, grow stronger in you. Help me to lean closer to you. Help me to draw my strength from you. So storms and trials make a believer stronger so they can, they can stand against even tougher trials. You can always tell a person that's gone through storms. They have the scars to prove it. And they have the faith to prove it. I don't know if you've heard of John Henry Jowett before. I like reading him. 
He was, in fact, Warren Wiersbe called him the greatest of all preachers in the English, of the English language. So he, to, to Warren Wiersbe, he was pretty good. But I, he always has good examples. And this, he lived, he died like in 1923 or so. But he, uh, he wrote this. It made me think of the men that go up to Crawfish Lake and talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you know, it's a small little lake up there, a beautiful lake. But I read this, and it, this is what it means to me when I think about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And one of those unsearchable riches is faith. Here's what he writes. Unsearchable riches. It is as if a man were tracking out the confines of a lake. I just imagine myself, just, we've taken walks around that lake before. As if a man were tracking out the confines of the lake, walking its boundaries, and when his circuit was almost complete, should discover that it was no lake at all, but an arm of an ocean, and that he was confronted by an immeasurable sea. That's what I'm talking about, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Sometimes we have like small thoughts, small ideas of what faith is all about. And faith in the unreachable, the unsearchable riches that are found in Christ. And sometimes it might be I'm walking around Crawfish Lake. And this is faith. It is a beautiful thing. And I love this. But when I get around to the end, it's not even a lake at all. It's an immeasurable sea in all of what God has to offer. That's what God's calling us to. He's calling us to increase our faith. Not to confine it to some small lake. Although it's very beautiful, but there's so much more. I've gone around a lake and I come around the edge and I found it's no lake at all. It's an immeasurable sea. That's what God's faith, he wants for us. That's why Paul could have faith that they were going to make it and run to the ground. That's why he had faith to encourage people. That's why he, he knew what God had planned for him. And he was going to stand on the promises of God. That's my promise for this church. That's my, that's my hope for all of us. Is that our faith would grow. Not have little ideas, but have a big idea. The big idea of an immeasurable seed. That's what God has for us. That's how much he wants our faith to grow in him. And that's my prayer for all of us. Let's pray. God, we're just thankful for Paul. We're thankful for his faith. I see this as an important idea in this chapter. He had great faith because his faith rested in the faithful one. He believed your promise. That's the same thing that Abraham did. He believed your promises. God, we've been given great and precious promises. I pray, God, that you would help us to stand on the promises of God and that our faith would grow. We wouldn't have a little idea of what faith is, not a small lake, but an immeasurable sea. Grow our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.